Good morning, sisters. Good to see you. Let's go before the Lord and pray again. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that you've granted us to go into the scriptures, that we may glean the testimony of Christ. May you grant me the words to speak faithfully, and also may you give your people the ears to hear that which is faithful and true and needful. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this hour. May you bless us for the sake of your name. We pray in your precious name. Amen. All right. This morning we are in First Samuel chapter 6. First Samuel chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James. The Holy Spirit recorded for us and said, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, If you send it away, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now therefore, make a new cut, take two milk cows which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cut, and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch. If it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. Verse 10, Then the man did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their cows at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. Verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping 
their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there, so they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Akron the same day. Verse 17. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Akron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy God, this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kijath Jiriam, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. And that is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless us with the hearing of it. We have one title to the message. Uh, and this is going to be piggybacking on the previous message. The problem with the ark. That was the title of the previous message. And the title to our message is the solution to the ark problem. The solution to the ark problem. The solution to the law. The solution to sin, the solution to death. And we have a very wonderful message. If you can be given grace to hear it the way that I've had it. Because <laughs> I've already had it. So we preach Christ. And that means the gospel in every story that we get to. Every story in the Bible is a testament of Christ. It doesn't matter how weird it sounds, it still is talking about Jesus. It's talking about the gospel. And if we do not have that way of reading the Bible, then most of these stories become just bedtime stories. And bedtime stories will not make anyone wise with respect to salvation. The ark has been captured. This is where we are in the development of the story. The ark of the God of Israel has been captured 
and it is in the land of the Philistines and it is causing an incredible amount of damage, causing a lot of problems. People are getting sick and thousands are dying. And the seeming victory of the Philistines over Israel has turned into a nightmare. The Philistines thought they had defeated Israel and they'd captured Israel's most prized possession, the Ark of God. And before they knew it, they were in serious trouble. So wherever the Ark of God is brought in their territory, it is killing people from Ashdod, Gath, Ekron, the different territories, throughout all the territories of the Philistines, everyone has been affected by its presence. Everyone has been affected by its presence, from the least of them to the greatest of them. But why? Because the presence of the ark is revealing sin and God's judgment of it and saying sin was also in those who were not under the law, the Gentiles, because the Gentiles were not under the covenant of Mount Sinai. The ark of God was given to Israel. But God is bringing the ark to gentile territories to bring the testimony that they too were sinners just like the rest. So in the ark of God was contained not just the manna and Aaron's rod that budded, but the law of Moses. The ark was a big box. So it had the manna, it had a rod of Aaron, And also it had the two tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments on them. And God is saying, it is not the manna that is killing you. The manna does not kill you. It is not the rod of Moses that was killing them. Because the rod had been used to part the seas and also to bring water from the rock. So that could not have been the cause of their trouble. The cause of their trouble were the two tablets of stone. The Ten Commandments are bad for a sinner. Very bad news to a sinner. They are not bad news to Christ, but they are bad news to a sinner. And that will sound very unusual and even blasphemous to many people who do not know the law nor the teaching of the scriptures about the law. The Ten Commandments are not bad in themselves. The Ten Commandments are not evil in themselves. So we have to clear that. But those who are not paying attention and are mischievous will say, but Pastor James said the Ten Commandments are evil. 
<laughs> and that is false. That's not what I said. I said they are bad for you. Romans 7.12 says this about the Ten Commandments, about the law. The law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. That's the law. It's holy, the commandment is holy, it's righteous, and it's good. And we say amen to that. But it is this goodness, it is this righteousness of the law that causes us trouble. It is this goodness that causes us trouble because we can't give it what it requires. The law demands perfect obedience. Not just obedience. It demands perfection in every way from birth to the last second of your life. From when you're born, the second that you're born, to the second that you die. You have to obey it perfectly in word, thought, and deed. Also, the scriptures say the power of sin is in the law. In other words, sin gets power from the law. It is what gets this sin engine. If you would picture sin as a vehicle, it is what puts gas in the engine <laughs> to start firing on all cylinders. The moment that I give you a law, it doesn't matter what it is. The moment that I give you something to do, for you to get eternal life, for you, this is what I'm attaching. You do this, and if you do it perfectly, then I will pay you with eternal life. I've given you a lot of trouble. Because sooner than later, you're going to break that commandment. You're going to have an oops moment. And one oops moment is condemnation. That's exactly what the law is saying. One oops moment. You don't have to have five oops moments. No, just one. So these commandments that many think are supposed to bring life actually bring death. They brought death. The law is good. But you and I are not good. And that is the problem that we have. We are not good people. We are sinners. That's what God says we are. Naturally, that's who we are. We are sinners. And because of that, the law brings death. Because that is what God attached to any breaking of the law. He says... The soul that sins must die. Adam had one commandment, do not eat from this tree. And that one commandment proved to be too much commandment for him. Just simple one, don't eat from this tree. Now imagine 10 of them. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck with that. 
So when we're talking about law with respect to God, with respect to salvation, we are not talking about our human thinking about the law. We're not talking about renewing our driver's license and tags, paying our taxes and bills on time, being good or decent citizens. That's not what we are talking about. You cannot die. You cannot afford to die on just the testimony that you paid Uncle Sam his taxes. Why? Because God has no regard for that. God has no regard for that. That's not the righteousness that he's looking for. And many have been deceived by these things because they think that that is the righteousness that God requires of a sinner for them to come to him, for him to accept them. God has a condition that has to be met for him to accept you. You can't just come in. So we are talking about God's teaching on the law. And God says, if you miss one part of the law, miss one part, you are guilty of the whole thing. So if you covet something, God says, you are guilty of stealing, and you are guilty of murder, because if I give you leeway, you're going to end up killing someone for it. Okay? You're bearing false witness. All those things. By just breaking one commandment of it, God says you're guilty of the whole thing. Also, you're under a curse. In other words, you are hell-bound. So if you're not perfectly keeping the law, you're condemned by it. And there's only one way out. And it is not trying to be good or trying to keep the law. You cannot be doubling down to keep the law because it will not work. The only only way out. And God has given it. (laughs) And that's why we're preaching it. There's only one way out of it. It's by God's grace. It's only by God's grace. By which he does not impute. He doesn't reckon any of your sins to you. And he just does not stop there. He also imputes the perfection that is found in Christ alone. The righteousness of Christ. And that's his gospel. In Romans 7, Paul said, when he was discussing the matter of the law, he said, as soon I thought I was righteous before the law came to me, before I understood what the law was saying. But as soon as the law came, sin was revived Sin was made alive in me. The sin that was hidden in me was exposed. I did not know that I 
suffered from covetousness until my neighbor brought a new F-250. I'm like, oh, I love that truck. Oh, my goodness. I wish. <laughs> as soon as the law came, sin revived. And when sin revived, he says, death came. I died. Condemnation came. They come together. So sin, law, death, condemnation, they come together. They are birds of the same feathers. They flock together. So if he had been with the Philistines, when the ark passed through town, one of two things would have happened. You would have had, you would have died or suffered from the pestilence, suffered from the tumors. Why? Because nine is righteous. Sin has affected all men and women. Even the best of us are sinners. And God was teaching this truth of our sin and the need for atonement if the plague of his judgment should be removed. God was doing all this to teach us the way of coming out of his judgment. And the solution to the problem has to be acceptable to him. The solution, whatever you propose to be the solution, has to be acceptable to him. But God will never accept any proposal, any solution that did not come from him. This is very important. We cannot negotiate our way into salvation. Salvation cannot be negotiated. It is given. It is done God's way. And it is imposed. God imposes salvation on everyone as should be saved. That's what he determined to do ever since he has been God. So God must and did provide the solution to our sin problem. And when he does that, or when he did that, it is called grace. <laughs> it's called grace. Grace means God has provided the solution to the sin of some of the people through Christ Jesus. By his grace, by his doing, he has solved the crisis caused by the presence of the ark, by the presence of the law, even his own presence. Because the moment that God shows, God shows up, people start dying. So the ultimate problem is God himself. That's our problem. Sin would not be a problem if God was not God. If God was not holy, 
God was not righteous, sin would not be a problem for anybody. We'll just be kicking it in all of eternity. <laughs> so the worst thing that could ever happen to us as a sinner is to be in the presence of God without Christ. That's the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem that we could ever have because none is able to deliver us from that. Nobody can run away from him. There's nowhere to go. So Christ becomes very important. The cross, the gospel, become extremely important the more we understand these things. And that's the point of preaching. Okay? And so with that, we'll go to our text and develop this understanding and weave it into the teaching of the text. First Samuel 6. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. So the ark had been killing people for seven straight months. They were burying a lot of people every day. It was a country in mourning. The whole country was in mourning for those months. Verse 2. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. The Philistines then gathered together an emergency meeting and called their priests, the priests of Dagon, the priests of their idols, the diviners, the sorcerers, the magicians, anybody who claimed to have some spiritual revelation and insight and asked them and said, you are the guys who know these things or supposed to know. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? What shall we do? You tell us how should we send it back to its place? And that is a very good question because when you read it too quickly, you miss what is being asked. Slow down. What shall we do with this thing? How do we send it back? Because if anyone claims to be a priest of God, or a preacher for that matter, they should be able to answer the question. They cannot be ignorant of God's given way to stop the pestilence and judgment of it. If they cannot give an answer to that question, then they should retire from preaching. They are not helpful to your soul. There is no reason to inconvenience yourself in the morning, dress up and go to hear them. There is no reason for that. It's a waste of time. So God says, through these laws of the Philistines, the ark must be sent back to God. But how does it go back? Someone has to take the risk, take the burden, take the responsibility to take it back. Otherwise, the killing 
will not stop. But what does that mean to say the ark should be returned to the God of Israel? It means the law must be fulfilled. Otherwise, there's no way to stop its condemnation. The law must be satisfied, and that means God's justice about your sin and mine must be satisfied. It must be paid in some way that agrees with God. Also, there is a how in the question. How should we send it to its place? How? How is saying, in what manner do we send it back to him? Because many have proposed already, I believe, a million religious ways to send it back. A million religious ways to approach God. The how and the schemes that men have proposed come out and are most evident when someone dies. People come up with all kinds of ideas of making the dead acceptable to God. Why? Because they do not know the way and they, didn't, they do not know the how. And it shows in the words that they speak, in the things that they say, in what things they'll try to do to try to get God to accept the dead. The gospel is not for us to persuade God to change his mind. I'm going to be slow and deliberately so, because I really need you to hear every line of what I'm saying. The gospel is not for us to persuade God to change his mind. His mind is already set right from before the foundation of the world. If God could be persuaded, it was only one way, by the death of Christ. That is the only persuasion there is that persuades God, is the death of his son, persuaded by the blood of the cross, where he said, when I see the blood, (laughs) I'll pass over you. That's my only persuasion. On Monday, we went to Cincinnati, Ella and I, to bury a very good friend of mine, worked with him from 2004. We were in the funeral home, and we waited for the priest to come to do his rituals. was burning his incense going around the coffin, around the body, not one time, 
not two times, not five times, not seven times. We're almost in there, just doing that for maybe an hour thirty. There were things spoken that were in the Bible, but that were not connected. My friend was from Russia. So they had a priest from that region. And I'm listening intently. I'm a preacher. (laughs) I know Christ from the text of scripture. So I'm listening for the things that I could hear. And then I learned that my friend could not have been accepted yet because it takes three days before his soul can leave the place of where he died. Seventh day, something happens again. And then between the day of death to the 40th day, depending on the prayers that have been given for him on his behalf to persuade God to accept him. God would then determine whether to accept him or not. After 40 days of people praying, question is, he may just be missing one prayer. Problem is, you guys don't know if he's missing one or two prayers. And also, you don't know the quality of the prayers. Are they good enough for God to hear him? And talking to the wife, I could see that she was, she had no hope. And the son also, they did not know any better. But I could tell that they did not have any hope for their father. And that's with everything that happened that got me very sad. (coughs) Because if they'd given me the pulpit, I would have told them some wonderful things. If he is elect, he's in glory. He's done. If God gives me the opportunity, I will travel with Sister Ella to see them and help them understand. If God is pleased to give them the testimony of the gospel, true gospel. There's nothing that we do to make anybody accept about God. It's done already. It's Christ Jesus. And that is the teaching here in our text. Let's keep moving with it. Verse 3. So they said, These are the priests. If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass, trespass offering. Do not send the ark of God of Israel empty. Do not send it with prayers because that's empty. Do not send it with your tears that also is empty. Do not send it with your money. That is 
empty. Do not send it with anything that you have done because that is also empty. That is empty to God. It has no substance. Because our best works of righteousness are like a filthy rag to him. And much of what people have been given for gospel, for hope, for salvation, is nothing better than the ark of God starved with empty words. Starved with religious rites. A lot of incense, decorations, and things of false religion. Those who send the ark of God empty are ignorant of God's righteousness. They're ignorant of the issue. They're ignorant of who God is. The ark of God is sent back and must be sent back to him full. It must be sent back to him full. But how? The priest said, but by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. It must go back with a trespass offering, a sin offering. By all means, don't miss that. By all means, and that means without exception, it must come back to him with a sin offering. In other words, it must carry the blood of a sacrifice. It must have death in it. A death that is anticipative of the death of Jesus. Because that is the only condition of salvation. Everything else is just men and women being religious. The blood of Christ is along the basis of God granting eternal life and righteousness to us. And someone must pay, someone must die to pay for your sins. Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no cancellation of sin. If you die for your sin, your cut is still empty of righteousness. Your death cannot satisfy God's justice. The trespass offering must be of God's provision. And that means this is Christ Jesus who is being preached in the text. Christ is he alone who takes the sins and the death that was on his people and made payment for them by his own obedience, by his own blood, by his own suffering. Christ alone, by his death, was able to carry the ark of the covenant back to God, to God's satisfaction. Because remember, the ark must be carried back to him, and Christ alone is qualified to carry it. Otherwise, you'll kill him. And what happens when a trespass offering accompanies the ark? 
Verse 3b of Thessalon 6. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then you will be healed. Then you will be justified. Then you will be reconciled to God. When the trespass offering was given on the cross, that is where we were healed from the pestilence and condemnation of sin because of the law. Isaiah 53 says, By his stripes we were healed. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to read from there. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Isaiah says, Surely he, that is Christ, has borne, that is carried our griefs, carried our sorrows. The NET says he lifted up our illnesses and carried our pain. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But then, what were those griefs and illnesses? The pestilence, what were those things? Was God talking of COVID-19? <laughs> Was he talking about allergies and migraine headaches? Let us hear. Isaiah defines it for us. Verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. So that tells us what it is that he meant by the sickness. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our sins. So sins and transgressions, that is what is being preached by the ark of God, is killing and the pestilence that it caused. And the priests and diviners said, if you carry this ark back with a trespass offering, you shall be healed of these things. And that was preaching Christ typologically, that is, in types and shadows. Those were prophetic statements about the Lord Jesus. But healing would happen for them in a temporary way. But the reality was this. Still in Isaiah, the reality of what Christ accomplished, still in the second part of Isaiah 53, 5b, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. The burden for our peace with God was put on him. It wasn't put on you. So don't take it away from him. It was his burden to carry, not ours. And by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are healed. From all the pestilences that sin has caused us. From the judgment of it, we have been healed. That's past tense. It already happened. So there was no peace in the land of the Philistines as the ark was there. As long as the ark was in their territory, there was no peace. And neither was there peace in Israel. Israel was worried that the ark had been captured because they did not understand the theology of it. 
God cannot be captured by his own creation. Christ was not captured by Pilate and the Jews. He was not. He submitted himself to them. And that's different from being captured. He submitted. He willingly submitted himself to them. He cannot be made a captive of his creation. And Jesus was not kept on the cross by the nails. There are no nails strong enough to keep God on a piece of tree. It's impossible. He submitted himself. If he wanted, he would just have gotten off the cross, just like that. Christ Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to free us. He did not come to set himself free. He was not in bondage. We were the ones who were in bondage. But Christ made peace in a bigger way for us who are sinners. He reconciled us completely to God. So if you are understanding this, God has nothing negative on you. In spite of all your sins, in spite of all your weaknesses that you know of yourself, God does not think the same way that you do. He is already reconciled, 100%. And he doesn't change his mind. Because he's not learning anything new about you. He knows every little detail. Even before you were born. And these things are important. Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. Unfortunately, sickness and disease are still here with us. Despite what the false prophets are saying. <laughs> and this is not because Jesus failed. It is because these false teachers and prophets so-called, they do not know how to interpret the gospel message. The sickness and healing were in respect of sin and our justification from it. We were healed. We were justified. And sickness or disease is not a sign of God's condemnation. It is just living out the fallen condition until glorification happens. Between here and the grave, we're going to experience sin. In one way or the other. And we have to pass through this thorny and painful short phase of life. For right now, it is as if we are walking barefooted and the ground is full of thorns. That's exactly our experience of life. And we have to walk. But it's only for a moment. Romans 8, 18, Paul says, For I consider, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. They're nothing to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
They're nothing. They are nothing. God had made us so beautiful that if we could see it, would commit suicide before the end of this message and say, I'm done with this. <laughs> I am so done with this. Give me this glory thing. It's working for me because my knee and my joints are not feeling good. Give me this glory thing. Sounds like good news to me. So the creation is in agony. It is groaning in pain of the fallen condition. Even trees suffer from poison ivy. But I have a question on this, because I have a little poison ivy. Whoever named it poison ivy, they must be arrested because that was not nice. Ivy is actually a very common name for girls in Zimbabwe. Okay, it's a very common, beautiful name, Ivy. And I actually know a number. I went to school with some Ivies. So I guess if you end up getting married to one of these girls and they turn out to be bad, then you can call them poison Ivy. <laughs> but seriously, I've been wondering the purpose of poison Ivy. Poison ivy kills almost every tree it gets on. That's what I've observed. Pay attention. Though it does it slowly, pay attention to every tree that is poison ivy. Over time, it's going to die. And I thought that that is a picture of sin. Sin does kill us softly and slowly. It does. Ultimately, we're going to die because of sin. And I believe that's what poison ivy is preaching. You get conduct, any the smallest of conduct with it, a lot of people are going to react to it. So the fallen status has given us arthritis, cancer, heart problems, every sickness in the book. But that is all Temporary for the sons of God. It's all temporary. And Paul says these things are nothing compared to the glory that is yet to be revealed. The glory that we will experience. The power. The goodness. The soundness of spirit and mind and body. The happiness that we shall experience. Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 just to amplify the commentary of what I just said. Second Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Paul says, therefore, we do not despair. But even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light suffering, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because we are not looking at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. Anything that you see is temporary. 
But what cannot be seen is eternal. Spiritual things coming from God himself with spirit eternal. The things that we see came from the spiritual. So the spiritual is more important than the physical. But let's go back to our text, First Samuel 6, verse 4. Then they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? What is the trespass offering? In other words, what gospel is it that will bring us or make peace with this God? And again, that is a very important question. And many religions will answer that according to their traditions. And even many who call themselves Christians will also answer that according to their church traditions. But not according to God's word. The problem is, there's only one answer to it. There's only one answer to the question. What the identity of the trespass offering that God accepts. There's only one. And God is very dogmatic about it. God is very narrow-minded when it comes to this. And I say that in a positive way. God is very narrow-minded. He will not accept any other way. And hear this for a solution in the text. They answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Now that does not make sense. How could that be atonement for sin? How can that stop the pestilence? Five golden tumors and five golden rats. <laughs> Sounds like some crazy preacher. Why golden tumors and golden rats? Because the pestilence that was killing the people was spread by rats or mice. But why five of each? The text says, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, kind of governors over these cities. But why five? Was the five coincidental? No, it is the number of grace. And God is saying, if the pestilence and death will be stopped, then it has to be by grace alone. It has to be by God's doing. That's what grace is, as I said earlier. And that's point number one. Secondly, the tumors and the mice were made of gold. Why not just trap a few mice and send them with the ark? They could even have contracted me because I grew up trapping mice. I know how to do it very well. <laughs> I would have caught even 20 for them. Easy. No, it cannot be that way. It cannot be by works. Mice and rats would still carry the pestilence. They are disqualified from 
making atonement. This pestilence is in them. So we have to be in the picture of the mice or rats that have the pestilence. In other words, we cannot make our own atonement for sin. So an image of them must be made. (laughs) An image must be made. Verse 5. Therefore you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. They were to make images of those things that killed the people. Make the images of them. Question. What was missing from the images or in the, in the images? The images, listen to me, did not have that which was killing the people because they were made from gold. They did not have the pestilence. Hold on to that point because we are going to come back to it. Let us go somewhere. And here where this similar thing happened before. Let's go to Numbers 21. Let's go to Numbers 21. Verse 1 to 8. This is Israel in the wilderness. And they're causing trouble for themselves with their mouths. <laughs> Moses recorded and said, Then they journeyed from Mount Hall by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and our soul loves this worthless bread. Our soul hates this worthless bread. The worthless bread was manna, according to them. The people say, we are tired of having this manna every day. Because they were supposed to go and pick every day, save for Saturday. Every day they had to go out and pick manna that was dropping from heaven. And they talked to Moses, obviously to God, and said, we're tired of it. (laughs) We eat it every day. We have fried it. We have grilled it. We put cheese on it and mustard and mayo, we're tired of it. Please give us a different menu. Give us McDonald's or Burger King or something. But we cannot have the same thing over and over. That's the issue. And they got in serious trouble for it. Verse 6, still in Numbers 21. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they beat the people, and many of the people of Israel died. See, God doesn't play. The Old Testament, I think 
death is way, it's too dominant. God is killing people. And he's not killing two people. He kills 100,000. So God sent them fiery serpents to kill them. As he sent the pestilence to the Philistines to kill them. But why did the children of Israel get in trouble? What were they really tired of? They were saying, we are tired of hearing and eating the testimony of Jesus every single day. We are tired of hearing the gospel every single day. Give us other things. Give us more things. Give us some singles, children's ministry, marriage ministries. <laughs> you can't always be preaching the gospel. That's what the man I was preaching. Saying, Jesus is your daily bread. And they come around and say, we are sick and tired of that gospel that always talk about Jesus. Give us something better. Something exciting. Bring some man who has an anointing for business. Put him in the pulpit and he can help us. We can make money in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and God comes and says, I'm going to kill you for your foolishness because there's nothing better. And we'll see that it is God who provided the solution to both problems that he had caused. The golden mice and the golden tumors for the Philistines and the bronze serpent for Israel in the desert. The Philistines' prescription from the priests did not come from them. They were just used as vessels of revelation. They did not come up with that. God revealed it to them. Otherwise, the ark would have continued to kill them. So God revealed to them the way to make atonement, but he did not speak to them directly like he would speak to Moses and Israel. Verse 7. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us, so Moses prayed for the people. The people realized they need a mediator. They can't just go to God by themselves. They'll get killed even more. They need a man appointed to be their mediator. Moses at this point. And they made a confession of sin and asked Moses to ask God to remove the serpents and that to say, remove this sin that continues to bother me. I don't like it. I'm a Christian now. God, do something and remove this sin from me. Essentially, that's what that also is saying. I've tried to have a New Year's resolution to become a better person. Stop doing this and doing that. Please remove it from me. 
I want the better me. <laughs> Give me the better me. Let's hear what God says to that. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. And set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is beaten, when he looks at it, shall live. Why not remove the fiery serpent? God stopping you from sin does not answer to your big sin problem. God did not remove the serpents. He could have removed the serpents because he brought them like he removed the frogs and the gnats in Egypt. God did not remove the rats in the Philistines. He provided the solution to that which was killing them. And that to say, God has not removed our experience of sin, but he has given the prescription to all who have been beaten by it. The raised bronze serpent, and that's Christ. Verse 9 of Numbers 21. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Moses raised the bronze serpent and put it on a pole for the salvation of those who had been bitten by the fiery serpents. And they were to look, those who could look, just looking to the bronze serpent was enough for their salvation. And that means Moses, representing the law, is he who put Christ on the cross. Because the poor is representing the cross, the bronze serpent is Christ, and Moses is he who raised him on the cross. So Christ was raised on the cross because of the condemnation of the law. That's what put him on there. And see this. That which was made lifeless. Made in the likeness of what was killing people. But without the venom of the serpents became the source of their salvation. The broad serpent was lifeless and had no venom and became the source of salvation. And that means Christ Jesus, the sinless one with no pestilence in himself and no venom of sin, the fulfillment of the golden, golden mice and golden tumors, Christ the bronze serpent must be lifted up as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness. That's Jesus teaching in John chapter 3, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent. So shall the Son of Man be lifted up in this manner. So what Israel refused in the manner, God brought back in the bronze serpent. He says, well, you didn't like my sermon on the manner? I'm going to bring another sermon. It's too about Jesus. It's going to be the bronze serpent. 
In other words, Jesus is unavoidable. There's no way to preach. I could preach for the next 500 million years to preach the same Christ. Can't avoid him. Doesn't matter where you go. So Christ Jesus and the cross is God's message. You get him in the manna. You get him in the water from the rock. You get him in the golden mice and golden tumors. You get him in the bronze serpent. But all those as types, as shadows. So the images were made of gold. Made of gold to say they were types of Christ, free from corruption, as gold is a pure metal, and it is free from corruption, free from rust. That's why people love it. Christ Jesus was made in the image, in the likeness of sinful humanity, in his incarnation. In his adding humanity to himself, that's what incarnation means, but he did not have the pestilence of sin in him, otherwise he would not have been able to take away our sin. But the priest said, verse 6, Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty things among them, Did they not let the people go that they might depart? The priests know some history of Israel and what God did for them in Egypt. And they're saying, as God did a mighty work in Egypt to deliver his people from the enslavement of Pharaoh, Pharaoh and Egypt had to let His people free. They were set free from bondage. And that to say, if and when God has done a mighty work, especially in salvation, there is a result that comes from that the people for which he came to fight for must be let go. In other words, they must be set free. They must be justified from their sin. In other words, this God is faithful to his cause of salvation. He just does not bring pestilence and have his work to fail when the conditions have been met. Once the conditions of your salvation have been met, he is under obligation to set you free. He is under obligation to justify you for the sake of his name. Because God is not a gangster. God is not a gangster. He is holy and righteous. If you agree on one thing, if you say to meet at 12.16, you'll be right there at 12.16, exactly to the second or millisecond. On the day, the time, he is faithful in every way. So if the conditions 
that are demanded by him of your salvation have been met. Then he must set you free. In Egypt, it was the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh. A type of Christ, the son of Pharaoh, the firstborn of Pharaoh, the firstborn of God. Pharaoh also was a type of God. When his firstborn died, Pharaoh immediately sent message to Moses and say, you get out of here. You get out of here. Because the Christ in the picture has been given. The firstborn of Pharaoh was smitten of God. It's God who killed him. As Christ was smitten of God. And the Passover lamb also, speaking to the death of Christ on the cross, God is preaching too many things that there's not enough text for us to get all the details. So he has to put the testimony in the son of Pharaoh. He has to put the detail of Christ in the Passover. He has to put it in the unleavened bread. And it just keeps going and keeps putting more and more detail. But this is what set the people free. Once Christ has been given to death, his people must be set free. They must be justified. So that is your hope and that's your only hope. I'm preaching this as if all oh, you are dying today. I'm not even kidding. At some point, nobody's going to be preaching to you. It depends who you have around you. But I want you to reflect on the things that I'm saying and what they mean. Everything said in simplicity. I'm saying Christ is enough. Christ is enough. There's nothing to be done by you and me to add to it. It's settled. So for the Philistines, they must make and bring images of the golden tumors and golden mice and they will be set free. Verse 7. We're going to pick up pace because some of the sections of the text is going to be repetition of something, so we won't dwell much on it. But this part of the text is critical to the understanding of the story. Verse 7. Now, therefore, make a new cut. Number one, take two milk cows which have never been yogged. Number two, and hitch the cows to the cut. Number four, take their cows home away from them. So the way to make a new cut. A cut that had never been used to carry anything. And that means Christ. New cut. Not an old cut. Take two milk cows that have never been yogged. And have had cows. That means that have shown their fruitfulness. And also, never been yoked to say, never been used to carry the burdens. The burden of sin. Because yoking is a picture, yoking and pulling something, that's a picture of carrying sin. You're pulling a burden of sin. Never been yoked. 
So the cart and the two cows were types of Christ. The cart itself. God is saying this cart is a type of Jesus. Like that. How did you preach like that? Yes, it's a type of Jesus. The cows, type of Christ. So the new cart is the body of Christ being prepared. That's a new cut. You make a new cut. Type of the body of Christ being made. They find fulfillment in him. And the two cows were to be hitched, yoked to the cut so that they may carry away that which was killing the people. The ark of God. Specifically, the law that was contained in the ark had to be carried away. They were carrying not just the ark, but the condemnation that it had brought. Because that is what Jesus came to do. He came to remove the condemnation, to carry the condemnation away. And he alone is qualified to do that, to carry our sins. Verse 8. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespassing, as a trespass offering in a chest by his side. Then send it away and let it go. So on the cart also were the articles of gold coming as a trespass offering. And that does confirm to us that the golden mice and tumors were pictures of Christ. Otherwise, they would not have been on the cut. <laughs> so we have all these things that were bearing witness to the need of Jesus, pointing to him in different ways. And that is to say, God is not a boring preacher. God is not. When you're working all these details, I'm like, give me five more hours. I can keep talking. God is not a boring preacher. That's nine. And watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. In other words, if the cart goes back to its own territory, then God is he who was behind all our suffering, and he has accepted the responsibility of it, and also he has accepted our payment for our sins. So when the Christ has gone back to his territory, Gone back to the Father. God is saying, oh, I was behind all your troubles, but I've accepted the payment that you made. <laughs> but if not, if the Christ is not accepted, then we shall know that this is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. It just so happened. <laughs> if the cows go in any direction, any other direction than Beth Shemesh, then we know that some bad science experiment happened in some Philistine lab science or science lab where they were doing some gain of function experiments with coronaviruses. The Philistines brought this on themselves. <laughs> That's the Wuhan version of the Philistines. It happened to us by chance, they said. Well, there's nothing called chance in God's universe. God is involved in every detail of his creation. He is 
the West, and I'm, I'm saying this in a positive way, he is the West and the best micromanager there is. Why? He gets in everyone's business. <laughs> he gets in everyone's business. And guess what? He does not need our invitation for him to get involved. He invites himself to your business. And then he begins to do whatever he likes with your life. So he is some serious micromanager because that's what sovereignty requires of him to be. That's who he is. There's nothing that happens in his creation that he is not involved in. That teaching does not exist in the Bible. Verse 10, then the men did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their cows at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart in the chest with the gold reds and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway lowing, that is making some bellowing sound like in the context, mooing for their cows. I am very familiar with that lowing. When you take the cows away, they tend to make that lowing sound. And the text says, as they went and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And that is to say, they were very purposeful. They were very faithful in the mission as Christ was purposeful and faithful to what was given him by the Father. His single-mindedness in removing the judgment of our sins, in completing all that the Father gave him to do. Okay, That's why they did not. Um, go to any other place. And the Lord of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. So they followed them behind to see if they would change course, to see if they would be a sinner. But the people were after Jesus trying to find opportunity for him to be called a sinner so that they may accuse him. So they followed them to see if they would deviate from the path and they never deviated because Christ never deviated from the path given him by the Father. Okay? <laughs> See that they did not talk to the cows. They did not tell them what to do. God was driving them. And that to say, Christ did not get instructions from us for our salvation. He knew exactly what he had come to do and where to go. And the cross was his message. He knew that once he went to the cross, that was the point on which after the resurrection, he would return to the Father. Okay, verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh, that is Israel territory now, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. So this happened during the Harvest season. And God wants you to know this detail that they were reaping. Not corn, not sunflowers, not black-eyed peas. <laughs> Those taste good, by the way. I don't know. I haven't had that in a while. <laughs> they were reaping, they were harvesting wheat. Very purposeful. 
And that means they were engaged in a type of activity relating to Christ in salvation, the harvesting of his people for salvation. When they saw the ark, they rejoiced. They did not see what else was on the ark from a distance, but they could see the box. The box was big, but the, the ark was very prominent. And so they saw it from a distance and they rejoiced. Verse 14. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there. So the ark came into the field of Jeremiah. No. Of Joseph. Of Levi. No. The ark came in the field of Joshua. The field of Christ. The field of Jesus. Joshua is Jesus. The field of Christ. And it stood there. And of the journey. Why? Because it arrived. <laughs> the field of Joshua. See what was happening in this area. Where the wheat was being harvested. Was a type of the New Testament was a type of the New Testament. And the ark carrying the law came and stood where? In the field of Joshua, in the field of Christ, in the New Testament, to say the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end. The New Testament terminates the law. And so the cows stood. Nobody stopped them. They stood by themselves. Once they got to this field of Joshua, they stopped. And there was there a large stone to do what? To be the altar for them to offer a burnt offering, as we shall see soon. So they split the wood of the cut and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. They split the wood that was fresh wood. They split the wood of the cart. They break the wood. The wood is a type of Christ and is broken. My broken body. That's the body of Christ being broken. They split the wood of the cart. How did they not use what wood? Why use this wood? Why not keep the cut? Use the cut. You're harvesting. You need the cut for carrying wheat. Why are you burning it up? Because God was sovereignly moving every detail behind the scenes. So they offered those cows there is a burnt offering. And that is incredible. Because if you were to bring those cows to some religious people, they would have been keeping them for milk. For milk and getting more cows. <laughs> like, no, they have to be sacrificed. And that means the cows also met all 
the qualifications of a sacrifice. As God had said in Leviticus 22, you could not just offer anything to God. There had to be qualifications. So these cows already were meeting the qualifications of Leviticus 22. In other words, the cows were types of Christ, carrying the burden, and also in being sacrificed. Verse 15 to 16. We are almost done, according to my numbers here. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. Then the men of Bethlehem offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Akron the same day. They returned to Ohio the same day. <laughs> so the five lords of the Philistines followed behind. And they witnessed all this happening. And they were satisfied with what they saw. They saw that the ark had been accepted. So they returned to Akron the same day. Because atonement for them had been made. In other words, if we have sinned and understood Christ, understood the cross, we also should be satisfied. If we have understood, they understood from what they saw, our sacrifices being accepted. And that means the judgment that was on us has been lifted. And when we come to Christ, that's the burden that we have to know that God does not remember our sins anymore. Verse 17. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden rats according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, according to the five lords both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Bethshemesh. So the atonement here was not for the Amorites. The atonement was not for the Amorites. It was for the Philistines. And that means it was particular redemption. The text says it was according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines. It was according to the number. God is very purposeful in that communication. It was according to the number of these people. It was according to the number of the elect. And that is a serious point of the gospel. That Jesus died to save only those that were given him by the Father. It's taught that way. But no sooner than they had made atonement, hell broke loose again. Why? Because God is not done preaching. <laughs> he has to keep the testament of Christ moving. So we have the camera moves. We are done with the Philistines. The camera moves. We have another issue. Verse 19. Then he struck the man of Beth Shemesh. <laughs> because they 
had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. 50,000 people died that day. For what? For looking. You looked at me, Sean, you're dead. <laughs> and the people lamented because the Lord has struck the people with a great slaughter. So some people thought very curious people. Curiosity killed a cat. Some very curious people thought to open the ark to see if everything was still there. Like it was possible to steal the items and not get killed as if it was possible to steal God himself. And God brought another pestilence on them and killed 50,000 men. That's a lot of killing. That's a lot of killing. But why kill that many people? Even after the sacrifices had been given and accepted, but they have just sacrificed also. What is God teaching? God is saying, the law still kills anyone who touches it. That's the point. Even after the atonement, it still kills because that's what it was given to do. And many in our days say, oh, the law is now okay to play with. Let's go and open the ark and see what's in there. We can use it for our sanctification, uh, measure our progress in righteousness. Let us open the ark of the covenant because we can do it out of love. We are opening this ark out of love for God. <laughs> Isn't that what they were saying? Let's check to see if everything is in there. <laughs> Ask the men of Bethlehemish. They got killed. The law remains the ministry of death and condemnation. That's what it was given to do. If you open it, it will condemn you. And that is why in the teaching of the Ark of the Covenant, blood had to be put on the Ark of the Covenant to cover those things with the blood of the sacrifice. But once you take your paper towels and start wiping the blood so that you can open it, you're dead. Can't open that box. There's only one place where there's no condemnation. It is in Christ Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That is the only place of no condemnation. Everywhere else is condemnation. Verse 20, and I think that's the last verse from this. And the man of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kijath Jerem, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. What a present. <laughs> What a present. You come and get the ark and get killed too. So the ark proved to be too hot to handle for the man of Beth Shemesh. So they wanted it out of town. And that is correct gospel preaching. 
take the law out of town. If it is up to you, because it will kill you. Many people who did not live in this time do not know how these guys suffered because of the ark. 50,000 people dying. These are not big communities like we have now. 50,000 is a lot of people. But they say this in their conclusion. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go from us? Who is able to stand before this holy God? Who is qualified to stand? Because when we do not ask these questions, we tend to have answers that do not speak to the question. Who is qualified to stand? Naturally, we cannot stand. That's what we are saying. That's what they're saying. We cannot find anyone qualified to stand. You and I cannot stand. We will be killed. So the anticipated answer is no one is able to stand before this holy God. Not a single person can be found among the children of man who is able to stand. And yet the gospel comes and says, Romans 5. Verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have, we possess here and now, peace with God. Through, not of our doing, but through the person called Jesus. Through our Lord Jesus. Through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Suddenly we are standing. And yet the text says, who is able to stand is Christ. And being in Christ, we are able to stand, and we have a standing. We rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We have a standing in the standing of another. We have a standing in the standing of another. We stand because we have been freely justified, justified apart from our works, and that is what justified by faith means. We've been justified by the work of another. So to whom shall this ark go from us? To whom shall the condemnation go from us? Where does it go? It has to go to Christ. The condemnation of our sin had to go to Christ. To whom shall it go? It has to go to Christ. To whom shall the law go for fulfillment? It can go to you. It must go to Christ again. His blood must be shed. It must be sprinkled on the ark to satisfy it. 
but do not open the box to look into it. You'll be killed. Conclusion. This is how God determined to solve the matter of the problem that was causing trouble for the Philistines and you and I will be counted among the Philistines because they were Gentiles and we are Gentiles by nature. They captured it when they defeated Israel, but their victory quickly turned into a nightmare. Thousands of people killed just by its presence. And then God brought his solution that it was not to go back to him empty. He had a prescription for it because salvation is a God-given prescription. A new cut had to be drawn had to be made and be drawn by two cows that had cows but never been yogged, carrying the ark and the box with the golden tumors and mice. And Christ, in fulfillment, being the new cut by the incarnation, the incarnation of the Logos, that cut without sin, separate from sinners. The cows never yogged. Christ never yogged with sin, revealed to come and carry the burden of our sin in the picture of those two cows and to put it away by his own death of the cross. And everything said, the law will cause you trouble. Ask or text the Philistines. I think they may have phones now. Text the Philistines. <laughs> and the people of Beth Shemesh and ask them about their experience with the ark, experience with the law, they will confess the truth to you. Run away from the ark. Run away from Moses. Do not touch the ark. Do not look into the ark. But know this. Only Christ has kept the law and he was condemned by it because of our sin. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 for commentary, and we are done. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. The return of the ark. But Christ came as high priest of the good things, of the good, thing, of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle that is the new cut, not made with hands, born of the Holy Spirit, conceived of the Holy Spirit, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of gods and cows or bulls, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Christ brought back the Lord to God by way of fulfillment. That's the good news. That's the hope. And it's wonderful. Okay? All right. Amen. We're done. Let us pray. Our dear and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the very many words that have been spoken this morning, wonderful words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the message 
of his salvation that was taught through the experience of Israel and the Philistines in types and shadows, and yet Christ Jesus coming and fulfilling it and entering into the human flesh and experiencing it yet without sin, that he may carry the burden of our sin away from us, the condemnation of it, the curse of it, and everything associated, associated with it. We honor you for all that have gathered to hear this message. We pray that they will continue to hear the truth of Christ. We honor you. Thank you again today for Miss Katie. We ask for your blessing upon her and the child. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.